0: yeah cool uh i'm almost ready to go you mind if i like eat something real fast while we're just kind of talking through like how we're gonna plan the episode
1: yeah yeah what are you gonna what are you gonna eat man oh uh
0: it's this stuff called uh well this the stuff it's i don't know it's pretty good it's like some kind of like new yogurt shit
1: wait what the fuck don't eat that. I saw that move the other night. Wait, what do you mean? I saw it move. I don't know if it expired, but like I opened the fridge and it was moving. Ah, you're just, you're being crazy. That's kind of weird. Nothing just moves like that. I'm going to go destroy the shit out of all the stuff in my local store. No, that'll you stop must it. eat it. You must. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ.
0: Yes, once more keeping up the like running gag of me transforming. Hey everybody, this is another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast. This is your monster boy, Aaron, and as always, my cowardly co-host, Derek. What up? Here for another episode. Dinguses. This week we are going to be discussing the horror comedy satire, The Stuff from 1985 by Larry Cohen.
1: Something that I, I didn't think would take over Blood Rage as being absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, before we get started, let's go ahead
0: and chat through some things that we have watched, consumed in the last little bit. Consumed, lol.
1: And go from there. So, Derek, what you got? That's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> it's the stuff. Yeah, so I, a little peek behind the curtain, hasn't been too long since we recorded our last episode and last episode, I didn't really have much to talk about horror related either and so I haven't consumed too much horror, but I do have a couple things I can mention. I have been making my way through my comics and I just read the first issue of Plunge and this one is another one written by Joe Hill himself. So I think he is now writing both Basketful of Heads and now Plunge under the Hill House label on DC. Again, I can't stress enough how good these comics are in terms of horror. I mean, Joe Hill, he needs no introduction in terms of being a horror writer. The whole idea behind this first issue is that there is a old exploration vessel that was an exploration vessel of a oil company that also housed some kind of like environmentalists on there as well back in the 80s. It crashed and gets sunk and that was it. Well, all of a sudden the distress signal is coming from out the Bering Strait and it's been missing for now over 40 years. And so a marine biologist and a carpenter salvage team are going into it to recover the dead as well as the black box um, and maybe other research materials that were on the vessel. Isn't this just the plot of that video game that you brought up on a recent episode? Or Lauren? Yeah. So it sounds very, yeah, okay. I, was, I was about Sorry. to mention that it sounds very much like the Man of Medan kind of okay. setup but I guess instead of dumb teenagers it's actual like oil company wants to recover the dead as well as whatever information was on this boat so they send they're hiring a marine biologist as well as like a salvaging team to do it the first issue kind of ends on a cliffhanger and there's very subtle horror in the first issue it kind of ends on a horror cliffhanger but I mean I love the setup as you can tell from you bringing up Man of Medan, it's not that much of a original setup but still nonetheless it is interesting I like that idea idea of just random sounds and random broadcasts out there whether they were ghost broadcasts that you know went away for several years and all of a sudden they're reactivated or like number stations i tend to like those kind of setups for when it comes to horror just because that stuff is out there and totally exists number stations are real and strange black box recordings are real and even just strange recordings from space and from the ocean so it's kind of a touch of reality mixed with whatever horror direction this goes in It's kind of hard to tell what horror this is going to be, whether it's going to be kind of Resident Evil style horror, if it's going to be more straight up supernatural horror. So we'll wait and see. Have you had a chance to check out any of the Joe Hill comics? So I have read
0: basically the opposite ones that you have so far, and I haven't been the biggest fan of them. So maybe I need to read the Joe Hill ones. I started reading Dollhouse Family and I can't remember the other one, but it was like a woman's name, like what's wrong with... Oh, Daphne Byrne, I think. Daphne Byrne. And yeah, yeah. they've been fine. They've just been like kind of straightforward. So maybe I need to check out the actual Joe Hill ones and give them a spin. Since they've all been short, these have all been like four to six issue little story arcs. So these aren't ongoing. I've been kind of waiting until they have the whole thing done. Yeah. So
1: I'll I'll check those out for sure. And it seems like Basketful of Heads, because I think that's going to be running for 12 issues is kind of the linchpin of this entire label. So that one might be the one to check out and probably plunge as well i would probably give it another issue whether or not i would commit to this or not a dollhouse family i read either the first one or two issues and i haven't read it since then and i I didn't pick up daphne byrne i enjoy the covers to daphne byrne the covers are really cool and pretty creepy but i have no idea what that comic's actually about and i read the first issue of Lolo woods and i couldn't really get into that one either unfortunately but that was the other one that i started yeah but yeah the two that joe hill are writing. I, I'm a fan of. Basketful Heads is great so far, so I recommend that one. Other than that, kind of still digging more into just music that I guess is horror-adjacent or very appropriate for horror. While I was reading the other day, I decided to throw I, I wanted to listen to something ambient but maybe a little bit more dark ambient, so I went on to rateyourmusic.com that you actually showed me back in college. I use that as my main go-to tool now for discovering music and I went under ambient and one of the best ambient records is actually the silent hill 2 soundtrack for the video game okay it's done by and i'm probably gonna butcher this artist's name but akira yamoka and i just put it on and i remember silent hill 2 and 3 having pretty good ambient type of soundtracks and i forgot just how good the silent hill 2 soundtrack really is it is a good mix of just peaceful ethereal ambience and then straight up industrial demonic fucking sounds and then just a lot of of menacing dark ambient in the middle. There's tons of tracks on here that most survival horror gamers could probably recognize right off the bat. Arguably, the most famous track on this is probably Heaven's Night, which I believe okay. is the track that plays when you're in a uh, bar, abandoned bar. It's kind of like a safe haven part of the game. And that's where you first mar- Maria. It's been a while since I played Silent Hill 2. So bear with me. Those who actually know the game much better than I do. But yeah, do yourself a favor. And even if you're not a gaming fan, if you want a good ambient soundtrack, put on the Silent Hill 2 soundtrack. You will not be disappointed by that um another thing is i know i brought them up probably in the past on this but nick cave our buddy nick cave i decided to just listen through grinder man 2 again which i like even more than the original grinder man and once again especially on that fucking track uh mickey mouse and the goodbye man to me i know i've said this before it's just a pair of vampires or a pair of werewolves murdering somebody in a hotel like
2: but well, I was lying there with just my brother. We could hear someone rattling our locks. He yeah, was lying there with just my brother. He said, Yeah, man, I think it might be the cops. And we stood, we stood we stood down. Yeah, we sucked it. We sucked it. We sucked it dry. I was Mickey Mouse. He was a big bad boy.
1: That's like the general feeling I get when I listen to, to Grinder Man and a lot of Nick Cave stuff in general. A lot of Nick Cave stuff is dark
0: for sure. Yes. But that Grinder Man 2 album specifically is just kind
1: of off the edge into
0: some like spooky spookiness.
1: It feels like his soundtrack to a horror movie to me. And I agree with you. I think a lot of Nick Cave stuff has an underlying darkness to it. And that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. Nick Cave is fucking amazing and great. But that album is something else. How long have you been listening to Nick Cave? Because i Years. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't touched Nick Cave until I met you, and you like really turned me on to him. Yeah, definitely, just years and years. One of my like few
0: concert regrets is not going to see them when they were on that tour for Grinderman Man Two. Just nobody wanted to go with me, and I didn't want to go by myself necessarily. It was also in the middle of the school and work week, and I was going to be going to like Nashville, so I just I wussed out. It was a twenty dollar ticket. I should have gone. Absolutely should have gone. So either way,
1: yeah, I like Nick Cave a lot. Lot, but when it comes to other music he is such a judgmental bastard and I kind of love it because it sort of fits with his personality so well I know he has a quote every single time I'm out somewhere and something is playing on the background and I go what is this shit someone always says it's the red hot chili peppers <laughs> and then I know for Grinder Man because they're not a band anymore they only put out those two albums and they kind of split after that and uh, but I know they reunited back in 2013 and if I remember correctly it was either like in an interview ...or even on, like, a Twitter post, he explained that every other shitty band was (laughs) was doing a reunion, so why not someone who's actually good do a reunion? But otherwise, Nick Cave seems like a good dude beyond that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I appreciate his
0: movie stuff. He wrote... A great Western from several years back that John Hillcoat directed called The Proposition, which is a Western set in Australia, and it's got Guy Pierce and Danny Houston and Ray Winstone and Emily Watson and just it's an insane cast, but it is basically a Nick Cave song come to life. It's a guy who is a criminal, gets captured, local lawman basically tells him, like, yo, we are gonna hang your younger brother on Christmas Day if you don't go out and find Find your older brother who's the real mad dog that we really want. That movie's great. Um, he also according to legend and this is wild because you can find the script online he wrote a screenplay for Gladiator 2 which would have Maximus coming back to life what? and like being this immortal who like lives through all time periods. He was going to have Maximus like meeting Christ being involved with literally World War II, and then like literally sitting in the Pentagon the end of the movie like it was going to be some wild shit but yeah obviously that movie didn't get made but yeah i nick cave is definitely like a dude that i appreciate a lot yeah he's
1: a very interesting guy that's all i really got in terms of stuff i've consumed and can recommend to our listeners what about you um i did watch the
0: finale of the outsider and it was very good i like the way that they ended it even though it kind of diverges from the book Until you get to this mid-credits stinger, which was the most fuck-you moment I have experienced in a long time. Honestly, like, the more I think about it, it kind of pisses me off.
1: Oh shit, are you Mass Effect 3 mad? Going forward, if I watch
0: it again, I'm just not, I'm just gonna stop it as soon as the credits hit, and that's that. Are you gonna watch season two, if there is a season two? Well, so that's what I'm getting at, is they clearly just put this mid credit stinger in there so that they they could continue on with another season potentially and I really don't like that I think it's very very against what the book does in terms of the story the characters the resolution just everything and I I really wish I had just been like oh there's the credits cool click but I noticed oh wait there's more time left on this episode than there should be why is that and then I like skipped a little bit ahead and saw oh there's more and I watched so that's all I'll say. Y'all can figure that out on y'all's own.
1: So I don't mean to mock you. It's just that my own bitterness over Mass Effect 3's ending pissing yeah, me off. Yeah, it's still palpable years later. I feel you. I kinda take a little bit of dark pleasure in people who get something they love and spend time going through a ending ruining their moment. I'm such an asshole. It's such an awful asshole thing to feel, but I did feel a little bit of satisfaction when everyone was like shitting all over Game of Thrones ending. Cause I was just like, <laughs> first off I've given up on that series as a whole because fuck you You keep writing failed pilots for HBO finished goddamn books and then apparently a lot of people just were not at all happy about Well, the difference the is
0: there were like a few seasons where that show was kind of starting to go downhill a little bit for various reasons this was good all the way, literally, to the end, to the credits. And then there's that mid-credits stinger that I was just like, fuck you. I almost threw the remote of the TV. No, Shepard, you are the demon. Just, uh But anyway... I think if you just turn it off for the credits, you'll be fine. And it ended really well, even though, it, like I said, it diverges from the book a little bit as far as how it resolves, but it was solid. It was, it was some good stuff all said and done. I also checked out the s- recent Scream Factory Blu-rays for My Bloody Valentine and Body Parts. Which my buddy Valentine, it's like the first time that that uncut version of it, or stored uncut version or whatever they're calling it, has been available for a while. There was a Blu Ray that went out of print years ago, but um, the Scream Factory version's great. I was kind of shocked by some of the violence that was added back in because I don't think I've ever seen this uncut version. Um, notoriously, they kind of trimmed a lot of the gore and like kill scenes out of the movie, and it's still a really solid slasher movie. And and like the canadian of it is very charming and everything else. The Harry Warden design of the guy in the jumpsuit with the gas mask and the pickaxe is pretty iconic but seeing some of the gore put back in was pretty fucking wild and there were a few times where I was just like oh shit just seeing like eyeballs pop out and people in drying machines getting baked just stuff like that. I just assumed that the
1: movie was already kind of gory to begin with.
0: Well it was gory in the sense that most Slasher movies back then were gory, which is to say, not a whole lot. Like you would maybe see something quick and flash, but that's about it. Right. The fl- slasher movies that really went for gore were the ones that just got a lot of negative attention or banned or notoriously trimmed. So slasher movies really aren't as gory as most people believe them to be. But this movie definitely had some like intense and visceral stuff added back into it, which was fun to watch. But like I mentioned, the Canadianness of it is definitely fun. We got to do that movie on our, our show. Yeah, totally. It's it's on the list. Also watch Body Parts, which that movie is kind of a blast even though it's ridiculous. 90s Jeff Fahey gets into a car accident, the most fucking ridiculous car accident by the way. It's like the most insane stunt and in car crash that really makes me wish we did that shit for real still in movies and not <laughs> just, you know, CGI everything. But he loses an arm and in some kind of Radical surgery, they, like, graft a new arm onto him, and he starts getting weird visions, and the arm does, like, really intense things, and he finds out, oh, this arm belonged to a serial killer, and he tracks down the other people who got the other body parts. So it's, like, Brad Dourif as, like, a weird painter who was never really great at painting until he got this new arm, and all of a sudden this, like, dark shit's coming out. So it's hilarious and it's kind of wild, but it's got some intense gore in it as well, too. But it's fun. It's an Eric Red movie. I kind of wish he had directed more all said and done. The Blu-ray looks great. Last thing I want to mention is we just recently lost the great actor Max von Sydow. He has been in tons and tons and tons of movies. Everything from like Ingmar Bergman Swedish stuff from back in the day to modern day big budget spectacles like Star Wars and Minority Report. But a couple of either horror or horror-adjacent titles that he was in just to bring up that people should definitely check out. He was in The Seventh Seal, which that is probably the most unharmed horror but still horror of the list Virgin Spring which is kind of the movie that Last House on the Left is kind of tailored after Hour of the Wolf so great Bergman stuff he was also Father Marin in The Exorcist he was the voice of Vigo in Ghostbusters 2 he was in Needful Things he was in the Wolfman remake from a couple years ago he was in Shutter Island Um, so he is definitely like a genre staple for sure all throughout his career been dipping his toes in. So, you know, sad to see him go.
1: I think one of the last things I saw him in, and again, bringing up for a second time, this was back, I think, when the little bit of time that I was still watching, but he was the Three-Eyed Raven in Game of Thrones as well. He also had voice work in Skyrim. He was part of the Blades, I think, in that game. Yep. he. I think he was like the main
0: priest guy that you meet with, something like that. But yeah, he has been around for a long time. He is one of those guys that everybody, you know, from the 70s on has just assumed he's always been super old because he had old makeup on in that movie but to me certainly he has just always been old but he has had an insanely amazing career so yeah sad to see him go so that's the last thing I wanted to mention as we move on so real quick before we start discussing the movie we have a quick message from us about our friends at Nightmare Threads (laughs) What's up, fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch to match the fear in your
1: heart? Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror, or are you just looking for the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so, check out Nightmare Threads,
0: your one-stop shop for all things horror made for fans by fans.
1: Nightmarethreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture.
0: Nightmare Threads also has original horror content articles news and more so you can support us by supporting them check out our show's twitter and facebook pages for our unique referral link or use coupon code watch if you dare all one word no spaces at checkout to save 10 percent
1: so just go to nightmarethreads.com and again use our referral link or the code watch if you dare to save 10 percent
0: watch horror love horror support horror shop
1: sally
0: Alright, cool, cool. So, before we get into the discussion of the movie, Derek, you have a quick discussion you want to bring up.
1: So, a lot of the stuff in The Stuff, wink, 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 that's going to happen a lot. But a lot of the fears and stuff that is in this movie are addiction and consumerism, specifically surrounding food product and I wanted to ask you, Aaron, have you ever had such a craving for a specific food item, whether it's a drink or food or something, where you kind of did something not necessarily drastic, like super drastic, but something kind of maybe even a little irrational or out of the way just to get this thing to satiate your hunger or your craving?
0: So the number one instance of this that I can think of off the top of my head, personality-wise, I can be a little addictive, but not usually for stuff like food. But that said, in college, when we were all broke and eating terribly and making bad decisions, Taco Bell introduced their Chalupa (laughs) XXL, which I I affectionately called the Chalupa Boat. And our buddy Nowacki, who has been on the show before, he definitely got me hooked on those. And it is essentially just the double-wide trailer of Chalupas. It is the same exact chalupa shell just shaped differently to hold more bullshit. And they also had that Verde sauce at the time. And... I love that shit. And for being a college student and it being cheap and Taco Bell being open late when I was getting off work, I ate it a lot. Because there was a Taco Bell by our house and there was a Taco Bell by my job. So it was just it was easy done. And it had all the things that a growing boy needed, like veggies and protein from that like Z-grade dog meat. <laughs> but when I found out that they were going to be like discontinuing it, and that the Verde sauce was also a like temporary thing, I went in one day and ordered 20 of the Chalupa XXLs, and I put all of them in the freezer and then would just break them out and microwave nuke them whenever I had that craving. I did not know you did this. Wow. I also (laughs) basically walked over to their condiment stand where you get all your napkins and sauces and just picked up the entire thing of Verde sauce and dumped the entire container into my bag so yeah that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever done as far as like a food craving is concerned I'm not kind of surprised that it's Taco Bell related I mean um, I'm kind of surprised it's Taco Bell related because I don't like Taco Bell I don't normally eat Taco Bell I never really have until that but you're right like I I know exactly where you're going Taco Bell is the definition of
1: the stuff garbage <laughs> that is terrible for us that you can't stop eating yeah so yes, like if there was a modern remake of the Stuff, I think it might be a critique on Taco Bell. But uh weird thing for me was anytime I'm in a good routine of working out, specifically lifting, the more I kind of stick with that routine and the m- and the more consistent I am, the more I get this weird craving for post workout smoothie king. Okay. Where we last lived, um, we had a smoothie king that was right near us, but they had really odd hours, and they would most of the time be closed by like five or six at night. And so a lot of times I would get off work, work out, and then go go to smoothie king when i was still working at the last uh, place we lived at and so i wouldn't get out of work until about 4 35 i'd go work out because i would work out at the hospital they had a hospital gym by the time i was leaving the hospital it was already pretty much six and there was no way i could make it over there so my only other option was to drive about 30 minutes to another town <laughs> to a, a smoothie king that had i guess normal hours it was open till like nine at night 30 minutes each way or 30 minutes total no out 30 minutes each way like 20 to 30 minutes each way depending oh, geez. Okay. and I did that like probably about I'd safely say about 30 times if not more like the amount of gas <laughs> I burned just to get fucking high protein chocolate smoothies which are probably like you know if any, any health nut or any that's the stuff yeah dietitian would say like a eh, smoothie king isn't is, is as healthy as you think it is or whatever but I still did it also
0: for something that you probably could have made at home pretty easily with like all the shit that's available to us now as far Bring home health food, workout stuff.
1: Oh, I have no excuse because it was the definition of lazy. Like it's just like I just got (laughs) I just got off work. I literally don't want to cook anything for myself, but I also want a smoothie. Fuck this! I'm gonna go drive and get that. (laughs) I mean, it's more forgivable probably if it's like an actual meal I'm picking up from like a restaurant, even fast food. But the fact that I just drive all that way just for a fucking smoothie, there would be moments where I was smart enough to realize like what I was doing, where I would buy like two or three at a time and like put the other two in the freezer for the next days, so I wouldn't have to worry about driving that much. But yeah, the fact that I even got to that point is kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Um, More recently, as where we were living last, uh, the last three to four years before we moved here, there were no Canes anywhere near us.
0: Oh, God. Canes, by the way, for those who live in parts of the country without it, Canes is a chicken finger shack. It's good, but it's a chicken finger shack.
1: Yeah, and they serve four different meals. They serve chicken fingers, a sandwich that just has the chicken fingers, a salad that has the chicken fingers, and then just... A regular salad probably and the chicken's like okay it's juicy but it's not necessarily like super flavorful it's the cane sauce they originated in Baton Rouge actually like kind of in the New Orleans Baton Rouge Louisiana area so like I, huh. I didn't know that yeah I, I grew up with Cane's basically in high school especially after Hurricane Katrina like they really exploded after Hurricane Katrina and I would eat there quite a lot with my friends in high school and through college there was a Cane's in Hattiesburg right by campus and we uh, some of us would go to a lot uh, myself included but yeah When we moved from New Orleans over to Georgia, there was no Canes near us. Now where we're living, there actually is a Canes. Again, it's about 35 minutes there and back. I mean, granted, I haven't done it in months. I haven't eaten Canes actually in quite a while. But when we first moved here, I was making that driving basically over an hour just to get me some Canes. (laughs) Not even eat it there, like get it to go and then drive back. Just because I was craving cane so much. And again, cane sauce is very much the stuff. <laughs> it pretty yeah. much is. So that, that's me. So yeah, I guess if there's a lesson to be had by Aaron and I, Cane's is good and Taco Bell, while disgusting, can also be really good. <laughs> <laughs> was good at one point in time. <laughs> oh, there are plenty of people who still eat there on the regular. I mean, I'll, I'll eat Taco Bell from time to time too, but. Oh, sure. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> the dog, it was voted the best uh, Mexican restaurant like what, a year or two ago by America. <laughs> God how i don't understand
0: it yeah i don't understand it okay
1: so anyway yeah let's
0: get on to the movie we are discussing once again 1985's horror satire masterpiece
1: that's a stretch (laughs) (laughs) oh whatever
0: i love this movie uh yeah this is totally my idea by the way but yeah we are gonna be doing larry cohen's the stuff
2: no don't eat that I saw it moving the refrigerator. Here, Jason. Take some. There is something alive in there. They're good for us, Jason. (coughs) They kill the bad things inside us.
0: Must be a side effect of eating too much dessert.
2: alone tonight america is in grave danger so are you prepared to say on the air that you've actually seen people devoured by the stuff oh hell yes and what's worse i've seen what's left of them when the stuff gets through and comes back out.
1: not cranberry
0: sauce are you eating it or is it eating you uh <laughs>
1: god fucking michael moriarty in this movie is off the goddamn chain oh my god okay so you and i are gonna have very differing opinions i was pretty on the fence with blood rage just being like is this too much of a ridiculous parody that i'm enjoying it <laughs> like in retrospect i'm having a good time with blood rage and i kind of came around to it this movie might be a little too much even for me. Like, this was bored to me. This was borderline, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000 type of movie they would put on. And it was entertaining, but I don't know if I, like, enjoyed it by the end. Okay, so to that point,
0: I love this movie. I think it's great satire. It is definitely a great beginner horror movie.
1: Oh, it's an, it's not scary. Just no, right there. It's, it's it is just an, ridiculous. It, there's one scene that might be a little terrifying to people, but even then it's done so ridiculously that uh, I was just kind of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's it's not scary at all. So my my
0: first exposure to this movie was actually in high school, but I honestly would have loved seeing this as a kid on TV. I think, you know, if I'm being real, like this is honestly probably the kind of... Hard horror movie that you could introduce to like younger kids. The satire and everything is going to go over their heads until they're a little bit older but they will understand enough about what the movie's doing to find it interesting and you know I think there's just like a little bit of language in it you know that's really the only objectionable thing beyond some of the ridiculous effects gore but even then that's not overly ridiculous either. Like it's the kind of effects gore that I feel is totally like safe to show kids if I'm being honest. But-
1: Dude some of the acting though I can't believe you haven't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like The acting is straight up trolls too. I don't think the acting's bad. I think it is very, very self-aware. I mean, it is self-aware. Unlike trolls, some of the scenes are just fine. Like they're, they're doing a fine job acting, but like some of the scenes are just obvious green screen, obvious, like they're supposed to be running or more, more afraid than they actually are. Sure. And again, that's where like, I'll chalk this up to being comedy satire. Yeah. The reactions are not at all what they should be. Like, they're just kind of like, Oh, no the stuff is here (laughs) like that kind of like when they're
0: supposed to be terrified sure I definitely feel like this movie would be a good one to like show younger kids if you kind of want to get them into some light horror or get drunk with your friends and watch it totally that too
1: now granted if I saw this with like you in college like with our buds and we were drinking and watching this I would have had a fucking blast but the fact that I was watching this by myself with my cats on like a Monday morning at (laughs) like 11 I was like this is fucking stupid
0: Yeah, I really, really wish one day I can see this with a crowd or just pretty much any of the Larry Cohen movies, honestly. Like, if I could program Q, the stuff, It's Alive, and God Told Me To. Like, if I could do, like, those five in a row as, like, a Larry Cohen movie festival, that would be the shit to see with a bunch of people in an actual movie theater.
1: While I am kind of dunking on this movie already, I will say I am insanely curious and excited to tackle other Larry Cohen projects moving forward on this podcast because this really did feel like an earnest attempt at B movie horror and you've told me like one of his other films, the one that I'm kind of really curious now is God Told Me To. Like, you've told me about yeah. that movie now a few times.
0: And that movie has some, like, humor and satire to it, but it's a lot more, like, straightforward, serious, and horror. But that's the thing. With all of his movies, they are all very schlocky, and they are all very, like, low-budget charming. But they are all very smart, and the satire is pretty on point, And the ideas are just kind of buck wild and off the wall enough that they're... Interesting conceptually. Absolutely. So you can definitely give it all of that.
1: And you bringing it up kind of brought me to my two other points. So the two things that I absolutely adore about this movie are the satire. It's not, oh, you have to dig deep to find the satire. No, it's very it's very on the surface, but it is still good satire, even if it is a little in your face. And like, I mean, even the design of the stuff itself and the container it comes in, like, it's a totally believable product. Yeah. And then the other thing is, this concept is such a good idea for a horror movie it's the same thing with halloween 3 and maybe like videodrome and other stuff like that of just like taking this idea of something that you would never suspect of being sinister in halloween 3's case halloween masks and in this case like this product that's supposed to be an ice cream or whatever and it having a super sinister origin or layer to it yeah and that kind of goes hand in hand with like my love for small town turning out to have a sinister secret i just also like i like the idea of something innocent hat being more sinister Um, on a deeper level, like that kind of horror is always going to pop for me. Yeah. And so, the, the general concept of this stuff is awesome. Like, this is something that I would love to see either more movies pay homage to, or maybe, you know what, I will say, like, I would actually kind of be curious about a remake if, a, if it was done correctly. Yeah, totally. And
0: lots of things have definitely paid homage to this movie. Like, the one that comes to mind immediately is that episode of Futurama where they go to the Slurm Factory. I mean, it's, yeah, that episode is also <laughs> equal parts Willy Wonka, but it's definitely some of that where. Like, where does this thing that's like highly addictive that we all love comes from? Oh, uh, uh, uh you know. But yeah, like this movie perfectly skewers '80s consumerism and paranoia. You know, Larry Cohen perfectly, perfectly sums up his entire inspiration for this movie and several different interviews that I've heard and listened to over the years. So let me just actually go to him directly, and he can kind of tell you his thoughts.
2: You know, I, I saw people constantly, and even more so today than even then, being victimized by uh, products that end up being harmful to them. So you constantly today you see about medications being pulled off the market because they're killing the people they're supposed to be helping or giving them lifelong illnesses that they'll never get over. And pharmaceutical companies are doing this right and left. You know, the Federal Trade Commission and the, all that, they okay products too quickly and then they find out that they're doing stuff that's detr- detrimental to people. But the biggest product that was killing people was cigarettes. And they were advertising everything. In the old days of television, almost every other commercial was cigarettes. Cigarettes. That's if right. you've got the old uh, videos that you see of old television shows, you play them. Nothing but cigarette commercials. Even during World War II, all our comedians, Jack Benny, mm-hmm. everybody, Abbott and Costello, even people that catered to kids, sponsored by cigarettes. And Camel cigarettes would send 500,000 Camel cigarettes to our soldiers. Every week in the Aleutians or in Europe or in mm-hmm. Asia, everybody get these cigarettes for free. Well, you know what they were doing. They were addicting an entire generation of young American men. Those Cigarette companies actually killed more American boys than the Japanese and the Germans combined. Uh, the total casualties of American lives in World War II is under a million. Those cigarette companies killed tens of millions of young American boys by addicting them to cigarettes, by giving them free cigarettes. If you ever see a war movie, the guy is shot, he's lying there, and his friend comes over to him and says, Charlie. And they take a cigarette out of his mouth and puts it in the mouth of the guy who's been uh. wounded. It's not enough he's been shot. <laughs> now they got to put a fucking cigarette Just in his mouth. Final. Exactly. And then when the cigarette falls out of his mouth, you know the guy's dead. But <laughs> How many times you'll see this in World yep. War II movies? Yep, Cigarettes, cigarettes, cigarettes. So I said, this is terrible. They've been poisoning and killing the public for years. Let me make a movie which shows that they actually do this, that they serve you with a product. Are you eating it or is it eating you?
1: What drove him to be kind of more schlocky, B-level horror and science
0: fiction? So, part of it is he has always been a writer first and foremost. That was his original passion. That's what he has always really, really thrived at His writing. And coming up with wild, off-the-wall kind of ideas and concepts, he got his start doing TV. So, he started in like serialized TV writing. He created stuff like Branded, which was a Western, The Invasion and Coronet Blue, which was kind of an interesting concept that I looked into. So he has always been interested in things that have some social commentary to them. So, that has always been a running thread through all of his work. is social commentary and satire and, like, looking at society in kind of a critical way and looking at institutions in a critical way. Now, why they are so low-budget and schlocky is because he does all of it. He writes, directs, produces, and he wants to have control over, like, every facet of it. And some directors really excel at this and some don't. Some are just like, I want to do my part and let everybody else do their part and that's all I want to be involved with. But he is the definition of an auteur where he wants to take his writing he wants to direct it and then he's also gonna be the executive producer as well, which he kind of joked about that because he had a bad experience with some of his early TV stuff where you know he would write it and not be happy with the direction ultimately. Or he would write something and then be like taken off the show later because the producers want to take it in a completely different direction, or they don't agree with his vision or whatever. So Larry Cohen, the writer, became Larry Cohen the director, to protect the writer, and then he then later became. An executive producer for his own stuff to protect Larry Cohen, the director, you know? So at every step of the way, he just didn't want other people stepping on his shit.
1: I've noticed that, like, I remember looking uh, after watching this stuff, I remember looking up his filmography and so many of his films that he was a part of, he was either just the writer, period, or he was director, writer, and producer. Yeah. And another thing I thought that was interesting that he went into the direction of horror and the stuff coming off of, I think, what, his first three films that he directed, wrote, and produced. Were all black exploitation films, including uh, Black Caesar. Yes, that's cool. So,
0: if I'm going to kind of go through like my background with Larry Cohen real quick, during high school there was a weird kind of junk trade pawn shop kind of thing down the street from our house, and my brothers and I would go down there all the time and like do that thing that kids do, and we would just hang around and like chat with the owner and talk music and movies and that kind of stuff, and we would occasionally like buy stuff from him or trade stuff to him. And And he was clearly selling a lot of his personal stuff to kind of make some ends meet. And we bought so many like VHS tapes and records and stuff like that from him over the years. But I saw this giant chunk of VHS tapes that I was like, okay, I've got to fucking try these out. What are these? And it was Q, The Winged Serpent, God Told Me To, (laughs) and The Stuff. Oh, and It's Alive, it was those, right? Yeah. So, I took all of those home, watched all of them, and was like, these are fucking ridiculous, but I kind of love them. And I kind of fell in love with Larry Cohen's stuff then. But, you know, I put the thread together by looking at the back of the VHS box, like, okay, cool, these are all the same dude. Now, what I didn't realize was that he also directed some black exploitation stuff like you mentioned cuz I definitely went through a phase in high school where I watched a lot of black exploitation movies his first feature film that he directed was Bone which that I've only recently seen and it's a pretty scathing and rough satire about race relations and like modern sexuality in relationships and just all this kind of in stuff in 1972, right? That was one of yeah. yeah. Um, essentially, crazy. it's this it's this rich white couple and Yafet Koto kind of ends up in their lives dot 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 as kind of this weird fantasy apparition character almost, and things get really wild and uncomfortable from there. So, right off the bat, he is directing movies that are, like, kind of hard-hitting in their satire. And that movie wasn't very successful because they just didn't really know how the fuck to market that movie and how to spin it. Because it wasn't quite exploitation, but it wasn't quite anything else, really. But, yeah, he went on to direct Black Caesar and Helipin in Harlem with Fred Williamson. And Black Caesar, specifically, is kind of a very heightened take on the Frank Lucas story, which that is a movie that would get made years later starring Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, which was American Gangster directed by Ridley Scott, which is about the guy who basically took over the Harlem drug trade and, you know, kind of crime syndicate and pushed out the Italians and the Irish and everybody else. And he was the guy that was like smuggling heroin back from Vietnam in body bags of U.S. soldiers. So like that story is kind of a Notorious true crime U.S. story, and this is a very, very heightened version of that character, essentially. So, both of those movies are solid, if you want to check out some Blaxploitation stuff, but from there he did the It's Alive trilogy, which is, you know, about a killer baby. Again, going back to, like, things that are benign that we don't normally think about, babies, ice cream, religion, and God Told Me To, uh, which was the next movie that he did, which was about these random murders that happened throughout New York City, and when they eventually catch the person who did it all they say is god told me to do it and it's this one investigator tony lobianco who's investigating the whole thing and that movie's wild especially where it goes like i'm not even gonna like spoil where that movie goes but it is fucking insane by the end He did Cue the Winged Serpent, which is super fun, and about a giant Ketzelcoatl monster, like, reawakening after thousands of years and fucking flying around New York, eating people. (laughs) We gotta watch that one, too. We gotta do that one. Yeah, we might have to just do, like, a Larry Cohen, like, triple or something for one episode. (laughs) But again, he was a writer, first and foremost, as well. I mean, he wrote lots of TV back in the day, but he also wrote stuff like Best Seller and the Maniac Cop trilogy, and he did the Body Snatchers remake that Abel Ferrara directed. Did. I
1: mean shit The stuff has a lot of Homage to the A lot of body snatchers body Yeah snatchers. a lot of that
0: influence So he wrote a lot of stuff As well that he didn't End up directing Lots of lots of Really self aware Social commentary Satirical kind of stuff Like that was always A thread that run through A lot of his work And even if they are Super schlocky And corny They're still worth watching Just for that kind of stuff And he did pick Really interesting actors And actresses To work with as well too Lots of people who are, like, everyday character kind of people that he got interesting performances out of and just interesting characters. Tony LoBianco is one of those character actors that I love, but, like, seeing him as a lead in a movie is kind of wild. Michael Moriarty in this movie, and Q especially, too, fucking on another planet with his performance. Between his, like, fucking cowboy boots and his weird southern accent and his bad hairpiece and just his floatiness in this movie... He is wild, but he is so entertaining to watch. Either way, yeah, like I, I really do appreciate this stuff. It's a very super tight, fast-paced story. It moves with an amazing economy of filmmaking. Every single shot in that movie is there for a purpose. There is not a single wasted moment. It is all like telling you this story in really rapid fire succession, even if it is kinda clunky and absurd. And again, the effects are also pretty primitive, especially for the time. This movie came out in 85. So I mean this came out the same year as Back to the Future, (laughs) just for reference. Yeah. Okay. And this. Oh, Jesus. But there, there is lots of very clunky optical stuff. There are lots of scenes where it is clearly a stunt double or just a double that they had to go back and film later that looks nothing like the actors they're doubling, clearly. <laughs> lots of miniature effects with, like, big, like, white, glorpy stuff, like, going down hallways and everything.
1: I think it's either in Always Sunny when they show either Lethal Weapon 5 or their newer episode where they show all of Lethal Weapon 6. Yeah. And, like, it's like that double for Mac and... <laughs> like Dennis yeah. is like where's Mac <laughs> he's just like I don't know he's in the bathroom and then you hear Charlie's voice coming off screen yelling he's in the bathroom and they kept that in the movie that's kind of what this is yeah it's definitely wild and
0: again like the social commentary that's in it just the idea you know like Larry Cohen mentioned about cigarettes and how they were just shoved into soldiers hands knowingly got them addicted and it has killed millions and millions of more people than the fucking war did and all of the other products now that we find out have bad shit in them that have been recalled that have caused problems you know like one joking thing I thought of was remember fucking Olestra and the potato chips that was causing everybody's buttholes to leak right just wild stuff like that that again we willingly consume because it's cheap it's easy it's
1: addictive and it's there even the myths of uh, like mellow yellow and what it did (laughs) and like what was it yellow five or whatever and what it did to your testicles another one Um, because I also was reading uh, something Cohen was saying is that not only was it like inspiration from corporate grieving and consumerism, which is very obvious on this, as well as what you were saying where foods are being pulled off market that were hazards to people's health after the fact. But he was also saying just the sheer volume of junk food we consume every day. That too, yeah. And we still eat these foods despite them killing us from the inside out, which is very much on display in the stuff. And that's kind of what got him starting to think about the stuff as this imaginary product, specifically about... Ice cream. The thing too is as funny and as much shit as I am dunking on this movie, and I probably will throughout this episode, the actual tension to detail for the stuff itself as a product, the scenes where it's being sold at, like where there are actual like almost fast food places for the stuff alone, as well as finding it all over the place in like convenience stores and gas stations it's throughout so this movie. On. It's so spot on, and the commercials are so spot on. They're done with just enough tongue-in-cheek satire and sinisterness to the them that like you can tell that something's off but it's also something you could totally see being advertised like i mean shit some of the stuff that savannah and i when we're watching because we have hulu through disney plus but we unfortunately did it before we uh had hulu without ads so we're kind of stuck for a year at right now so we're dealing with the ads it's not a big deal to us but some of these ads that are even just playing on fucking hulu like while we're watching tv are bonkers ridiculous on the level of the stuff commercials in this movie oh yeah and
0: funny enough to create the product larry cohen actually went to some friends that he had in advertising and marketing and all that kind of stuff to essentially create this product so it was all made and designed by the actual people who do this shit in real life.
1: I can't which is why it. it is so spot on. And I mean, if you're not going to watch this movie, do yourself a favor and at least YouTube this stuff commercials from yeah. this movie because the commercials alone are pretty worth it to see. Again, it's both tongue in cheek, but also pretty believable at the same time. The one with fucking Abe Vigoda cracked me up. Just, <laughs> honey, what's
0: wrong with your dinner? And, you know, where's the stuff? Which is a play on Where's the Beef? Yeah. The Fucking theme song is just so catchy as well.
2: The stuff is here now. A great taste sensation. like and free now. But to elevation. Enough is never enough. Enough is never enough of
0: the stuff. Mm, the stuff, the taste that makes you
1: hungry for more.
2: The stuff, the
1: taste that delivers. Enough is
2: never enough. Enough is never enough.
1: I love how they had a bunch of commercial guest stars where, like, you are saying, like, yeah. Abe Vigoda, but, like, a bunch of other random stars just were, like, cameoing. Did you see the post credit scene? Yes,
0: I did. Okay, I have never seen that before. I've literally yeah. never seen that post credit scene, but yeah. it's fucking
1: Brooke Adams from Actual Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yep, yeah, and Enough is Never Enough. It's such a good fucking tagline for, like, yeah. a sinister product that's being marketed as a consumer hot thing.
0: Yeah, and I love, too, just the whole, like idea that they don't know what it is. They don't really know where it comes from. Yeah, they can't just... figure out what the fuck comprises it. Like, we don't know what any of this shit is, but whatever. It
1: tastes good. Fucking eat it. There's that scene where he goes to talk to the FDA, or the retired FDA guy and he's just like, I don't know. They just package it up and stuff. I don't know. It's good. Yeah. Speaking
0: of, um, I was gonna mention this when we got into the movie itself, but the stuff in real life, what they were using, when people were actually eating it, it was usually either yogurt or whipped cream or ice cream like just vanilla ice cream base or a combination of those things. Apparently sometimes it was actually shaving cream which is fucking nasty, but (laughs) the really large quantities that we see in the movie, like when we see it like slushing out of buildings and tanks and that kind of stuff, that stuff was a fire retardant that was like used by police officers for large scale events that was made out of froth up ground up foamy fish bones. Oh. So Lord. apparently it fucking stunk. I bet so. Larry Cohen and some other people joked about like, yeah, as soon as we got done filming some of those scenes, everybody would like literally run and jump in the fucking Hudson River to like wash that shit
1: off. <laughs> well and it's funny too because i mean this is kind of jumping ahead i do think it's interesting that with it sometimes being a flame retardant that fire seems to be its weakness just like the thing yeah the thing is as dangerous as a shark the stuff may as well be as dangerous as one hungry piranha that is in like (laughs) a gigantic swimming pool on the other end of the swimming pool from you (laughs) like yeah this stuff is never really feels like a threat this
0: movie to me yeah so, I mean, all the things that I mentioned earlier, I think that this is a really fun movie to watch with a group, for sure. I think this is a good entry-level horror movie for younger kids. I feel like this is a movie that you should show in fucking, like, marketing and advertising classes, oh, if I'm being that honest. that I would agree like, with, for sure. The satire in this movie is ripe. You know, and it hasn't slowed down in the, like, 30 years plus that this movie has been out. So, I do think there is a lot of value. Like, if I'm going to put it in the line with satires, it is definitely, like, right up there. Probably in that top ten of satires as far as things that are, like, relevant, have been relevant, still relevant, universally relatable, and... It's just fun. It's kind of insane and ridiculous. The effects are schlocky. It is definitely a fun movie that anybody that's into movies can appreciate just from a filmmaking standpoint because you see all the seams. This is definitely a movie where like you can see all the bits and pieces coming together and you can kind of appreciate the amount of work that goes into like actually making a movie and the fact that any movie that gets made is kind of a miracle of like all these bits and pieces coming together. So just being able to like Look at the movie as a piece of filmmaking is also kind of fun and again if I'm teaching a film class and we're talking about you know economy of filmmaking and just not a single fucking shot in this movie is wasted not a single moment in this movie is wasted the plot moving so fast to the point where you maybe kind of want a little bit more and you want it to slow down but like every single moment in the movie is there for a reason just overall
1: it's wild
0: too I mean it's just kind of fun and ridiculous at the end of the day. So I I appreciate it just on all levels. <laughs>
1: this movie thinks transitional scenes are a bunch of bullshit because there's mm-hmm. there's a couple moments of they're in New York or wherever and then all of a sudden he's like middle of nowhere Georgia town <laughs> and I'm yeah. like with nothing in between showing you that like he was driving or he decided to start traveling there. Yeah and one thing I was going to bring up
0: toward the end the original cut of this movie was definitely longer and the studio wanted it kind of trimmed down just to make it a little more fast paced. but if you go and watch something like God Told Me To or Cue the Winged Serpent those give you kind of a better idea of what Larry Cohen's regular pacing really looks like. This movie does feel fast all said and done but there are things like, you know, there was supposed to be a scene in a hotel that really does establish the romantic relationship between Michael Moriarty's character and uh, Andrea Marcovici's character and that was cut so then all of a sudden you go from like them being flirty to like them openly
1: like being in what seems like a relationship, you know, pretty much over night they're pretty much like boyfriend girlfriend like within 10 minutes it seems like yeah which i wasn't like it wasn't problematic it wasn't anything it's like that rush. it's just yeah. it's just a rush job it's just like they show no in between of like how it actually led to that you yeah. get a little bit h- hints of them being attracted to each other and then bam they're just like together now
0: but yeah i would definitely put this as far as programming either you know get together for friends or chip programming stuff in a theater i would pair this movie with you know either other product satire kind of movies, or I would put it with, like, conspiracy theory movies as well, too. This would definitely be, like, a fun one to throw alongside something, like, way more level-headed and basic, like, you know, The Conversation, or something like that, or Chinatown. This movie definitely would be a crowd-pleaser if you put it on with a group of friends, so that's probably gonna be the best way to watch it. Get a bunch of people together, check it out. Yeah, don't do what I did. It has been readily available on streaming for the last Several years. Um, right now, as of this recording, it's on Tubi TV for free. That's how I watched it. Yeah, it's been on and off Amazon and Shudder and all kinds of other services. Speaking of our friends at Shudder. They actually have the King Cohen documentary right now that kind of details Larry Cohen's entire career. And that one is fun and worth watching. There's lots of talking heads on there like Scorsese and John Landis and J.J. Abrams and lots of people that were involved with his movies over the years discussing everything. So That's definitely a fun doc if you want to check out his career top to bottom. But yeah, I think that's a good point where we can kind of transition and go ahead and you know run through the movie real quick.
1: Well, and if if we haven't spelled out for you, the horrors that this movie tackles are consumerism, uh, literally the things that you consume, um, whether it be eating them or, or just the things you take in when watching TV or whatever, just literally killing you from the inside out and hollowing you out as a person. I mean, what else? Yeah. Uh, what else is there? Is it that, that's addiction?
0: Addiction. Cultural homogenization. Definitely like the insidious nature of advertising the conspiracy theories government cover-ups corporate cover-ups i mean there's there's like all kinds of things that this movie is definitely hitting on from a fear standpoint you know and right now as of this recording we're in the midst of this giant coronavirus scare and how that whole situation is just kind of being bungled mishandled etc and just the amount of information that is like actively not being put out there because dot 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 reasons you know so there's lots of those real life fears that do bleed over into a satire movie like this where we can kind of look back and laugh at it a little bit so yeah it, it definitely covers a lot of stuff for sure but yeah watch with a group super fun definitely check it out so that said let's kind of chat through the movie and again this movie moves real quick so we'll try to be fairly concise about running through it and kind of talk through our feelings (laughs) as best as we can yeah yeah so the movie completely cold opens (laughs) let
1: me see (laughs) yeah there's I had to like look up uh, just to to make sure I was watching a good stream because I used to be uh, like you were saying it was on and a legit stream but the way it cold opens I was just like, wait, did I miss something? Yeah. Well, it's even weird
0: on the Blu-ray. Arrow has a great Blu-ray of this movie out. But even then, like, you hit play from the menu and it just goes right into the fucking movie. (laughs) It just starts, like, mid-scene. I had to
1: find another stream and watch through the first minute of that one just to make sure that it's like, okay, I guess this is the movie. But yeah, we see a group of miners and
0: they discover this yogurt-like, white, marshmallow fluff kind of substance, literally bubbling out of the fucking ground and the guy who finds it his first impulse is reach down pick some with his fingers and fucking taste it right so like right away the fuck what the ever-loving fuck don't put that in your
1: mouth so at first like when I saw the scene I was just like oh that must mean there's like some kind of subconscious need to consume it when you're near it right nope it's just this guy nope. decided to fuck it this guy left. was just like what's this on the ground this looks Ooh, good let me taste it. Yeah. if he hadn't have done that we might have never had had any problems in the rest of this movie. Yeah. Well, I love, too, like, the other guys
0: with him, he's just like, here, taste it, taste it. He's like, no, I don't, okay. He just, like, takes it right off his fingers. But, yeah, I love that guy, too. It's just like, yeah, if this stuff keeps bubbling out of the ground, we can sell it to people. Like, <laughs> that's his first fucking instinct. Anywho, we are then introduced to a young boy named Jason, played by Scott Bloom. Uh, Scott Bloom was in some TV stuff back in the day, like, Who's the Boss? But then he kind of skipped to some smaller roles in more modern movies like John Q and smoking aces he wakes up in the middle of the night and goes downstairs to get a midnight snack and before we go any further this kid has like the best fucking bedroom ever by the way he's got like those rad return of the Jedi sheets yeah they're pretty and he's got like a poster of boy George on his wall (laughs) and a poster of like fucking Satan just like straight up like a giant demon poster
1: on his wall (laughs) that's what I thought and like there is nothing about this character throughout the entire film that would suggest just that he's a metal fan or no he's like the most innocent boy ever yeah this is a main character in this movie and he is the most
0: underdeveloped character in this entire movie yeah. <laughs> he is just the most child in air quotes that you can imagine so yeah he goes downstairs to get a midnight snack and when he opens the fridge he sees a big glob of the stuff slurping its way across the rack in the refrigerator and like slurp itself back into the carton just as his dad jump scares him and kind of chastises him about being up so late and then we see the father like go to leave the room and he turns back around and is just like yeah I gotta get me some of that stuff and you know we see him eating it Man. also this dad is way too fucking aggressive and yeah. like angry he's
1: pretty close to
0: being abusive like straight yeah. up yeah this dad is like right on the edge at all times just ready to fucking snap he like hits the shit out of the kid like smacks him on the butt's so so fucking hard it's like you get upstairs right now you little
1: asshole just jesus and these themes are serious this is like shitty especially for like people who have have experienced this themselves but the, this movie again everything in context and this movie is hamming it up this dad is hamming <laughs> yeah. it the fuck up so like we are kind of laughing about it it is something serious and really shitty but just like everything is tongue-in-cheek so again oh, yeah. everything in context we haven't gotten to the biggest slice of ham like the whole leg of ham yet that's coming yeah
0: yeah so next we are introduced to a fucking evil cabal of ice cream moguls <laughs> <It's done.
1: laughs>
0: who are all sitting on a boat in the New York Harbor discussing how the stuff has been like crushing the entire ice cream industry and how they all desperately want to like discover what it is in order to like rip it off. And
1: you know what? I could totally see this have happened sometime in, oh, in yeah. the history of oh, this yeah. corporate douchebag all meeting on like a private boat to discuss how they're going to sabotage their kind competition. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure this happens all the time. This happened a couple of years ago when like all the
0: fucking cable TV executives got together and they were like, what do we do about this? Netflix. Oh yeah, we start our own Netflix. (laughs) Anyway, so they all kind of comment too on like how everyone from the FDA who is involved with the stuff, like all the people that approved it and tested it and everything else, they've all like vanished or just gone silent or whatever because they tried tracking those people down to kind of figure out what's that makes it so addictive. What's special about it? So they decide, okay, we are going to hire this former FBI agent turned industrial saboteur named Mo Rutherford, played by Michael Moriarty to, like, Christ go in alive, figure out what stuff is and, like, essentially steal the secret recipe or destroy it or whatever, right? Michael Moriarty, to borrow a concept, okay? We have talked about the Blank Check podcast before, and this is a story that they told on one of their episodes that was from the filming of Marvel's Thor. Kenneth Branagh. ...is directing Thor 1, the Shakespearean movie director extraordinaire, right? He is directing a cast that's also pretty wild and diverse, but he was directing Ray Stevenson, who played Volstagg in that movie. And Volstagg is big, giant, fat, laughable, eats a lot of stuff, jovial, jokey, comic relief kind of character, right? And Ray Stevenson was worried about playing it too big and just being too hammy. And Kenneth Branagh, again, this is a Shakespearean extraordinaire, done tons of Shakespeare movies and everything else... Actor, been in tons of stuff as well, goes up to him and is like, Look, I don't want you to just dip your toe into the river of ham. I want you to walk out into the river of ham. I want you to wade out into the river of ham. I I want you to get chest deep into the river of ham, right? (laughs) So if we're going to borrow that concept, Michael Moriarty fucking drowned in the river and is being like, his dead body is being carried downstream by the River of (laughs) Am. That's how fucking deep into it he is, okay? So, Michael Moriarty was on stuff like Hickey and Boggs and Hal Ashby's Last Detail. He was in Q, The Winged Serpent, again, that we brought up, and he's fucking wild in that movie, too. He was in Pale Rider, Troll, speaking of, you mentioned Troll, he's in Troll. He was also also on a giant chunk of law and order through the 90s courage under fire lots and lots of tv stuff so he has definitely been around he decides he's gonna do a southern accent through this movie yes and his his southern accent is just weird he's kind of floating he's just like oh sweaty
1: palms swell oh, another sweaty palms sweaty palms a oh, lot sweaty palms and like <laughs> he's fucking wild ramping up the charm to it's obs- like cranking it to 11 basically <laughs> yeah
0: like the best
1: way i can describe
0: it is you know him in this movie imagine if Forrest Gump and James Bond were like combined into the same person
1: (laughs) that's That's essentially what he is in this movie that's perfect and like maybe more sarcastic than either of them yeah and he is
0: very smart and clever and capable again like James Bond but he's just got this fucking dumb southern thing going on but I love the scene where like he calls out that one executive for something that they like said disparaging about himself when he's kind of like prove his chops a little bit and he's like yeah i bugged your hotel room last night and put a put a microphone in the pocket of your jacket right there and he reaches in and you know grabs it out and the guy's like oh son of a bitch you did you are pretty clever he's like you're not as dumb as you appear and he just replies sir nobody
1: is as dumb as i appear Oh Mo Rutherford. He is adorable in this movie though. I I give him that. Mo Rutherford. You know why they call me Mo? Because every time I ask for money, I want some Mo. (laughs) I want some Mo. So I I was kind of half expecting this movie to take the turn of like him just being a shitty person who gets his comeuppance, him going full crook and like the stuff somehow coming back and biting him in the ass, or he gets you know caught by the people making this stuff or whatever. It doesn't go that route. He he becomes more of like a hero, but right here he is in full like like, sleaze mode, yeah him fucking with that
0: other FBI agent on the boat was pretty great too Yeah, um, I love like him walking out and waving the check in his face he's like oh yeah if you talk to the FBI tell him this bow and he like
1: punches him that, that shit's just wild meanwhile like as these scenes are playing out we do catch a glimpse or two of the stuff being sold and, and we see like a commercial or two of the stuff yeah there's lots of bits of that things kind of peppered in but either way yeah
0: like supposedly there were lots of people like you said Barbara Crampton, Abe Vigoda's definitely in one of the commercials that still stays in. But there were several celebrities that were supposed to be in different commercials and advertisements, and some of that stuff definitely got cut. But yeah, the scene with all the ice cream execs on this boat, simp champagne in their fucking suits, is like the most hilarious fucking caricature of that 80s corporate excess villainry that you and I both love for oh, this yeah. entire time period. <laughs> I love it in 80s action movies. I love it in 80s horror movies. It's the best. Totally. Um. So yeah, the next scene we see Jason and his family at breakfast the next morning and he's warning them like, yeah, don't eat the stuff. I saw it moving in the fridge and they're like, oh, you're full of shit. That's not
1: real. It's totally fine. And this family must be like a critique on the nuclear family of the 80s or something because you oh, have yeah. the dad who's like pretty much abusive. The mom who is is kind of airheaded and like all over the place and then the shithead like older brother who yeah (laughs) it's just again hamming it up as like you know bully brother basically but yeah this family is quite interesting to see yeah and i love too that like the
0: more they eat the stuff the more they just sound more and more like a commercial for the stuff they're just like yeah jason eat it it's delicious it's got all the vitamins you need it's good for you (laughs)
1: yeah
0: yeah but anyway the mom like tries to get him to eat some of it and he just like swats that shit out of her hand and runs off Fuck you, Mom. Yeah. We then go back to Mo and his team of science people. Apparently he has a science crew that he works with on a regular basis, but they also like can't figure out what the fuck the stuff is. And they kind of decide the only way to like actually figure that out is just, you know, they've got to steal the formula essentially. So the first move he makes is he goes to the set of a commercial shoot for the stuff. And he kind of smooth talks his way into a dinner date with the marketing campaign director. Nicole Kendall played by Andrea Marcovici. And did he act like he was coming down from corporate or something? Well he was kind of doing it under the guise that he's this high power oil executive and you know they were going to buy the advertising firm that she works for and put her in charge of it. So that was like the whole entire shtick that he was pulling to kind of get her trust. And of course she's kind of like oh uh, yeah I'm super ambitious. Sure that sounds like a great opportunity. So they kind of arrange a dinner date to discuss it. And I like, you know, again, the whole like, you know, okay, cool. Well, you know, we can go right now. My limousine's parked right out front. And she's like, yeah, mine is too. And he just replies back, mine's bigger. And there's just like this weird kind of like immediate (laughs) repartee between the two of them. But Andrea Marcovici was mostly in TV stuff. And recently she was in the FX show Baskets. Um, And she was also in the Netflix movie Velvet Buzzsaw, which was kind of a hard horror adjacent movie. I think she was a singer too, right? I remember reading up on that.
1: Yes, I think she also had kind of a music career. And she had like quite a few releases Mm -hmm. as well, apparently. Like I remember seeing kind of a list of everything she put out and none of it is like anything recognizable, but she had quite a few I guess LPs. So it's interesting that like I've never seen anything of her before this movie. Like I had no idea who she was, Yeah, but yeah, she's been around and honestly she might be the best part of this movie. I don't know. (laughs) She's the most grounded actor in the yeah. movie for sure but she definitely still
0: like hams it up from time
1: I to mean time. like everyone does from time to time but like she feels like the most I guess well acted in my opinion yeah. out of everybody yeah the next scene we see is at a
0: grocery store where Jason seemingly by himself he goes to this grocery store and starts destroying like every container and sign and display of the stuff and he's just screaming like don't eat it don't eat he like slaps a carton out of this little kid's hand (laughs) yeah and eventually he's like subdued by several of the employees one of whom is Eric Bogosian in an uncredited cameo cracked me up watching it this time was like this is definitely the time where kids did just wander free for hours on the day right their parents didn't worry about like why is this kid just wandering around a grocery store with like all these people in the middle of the day his
1: dad was going to work and his mom seemed like she might have been a housewife but even then like he was just going to school by himself it seemed like so he could easily just wandered off and just been like fuck this stuff he went like an 11 year old's version of Rage Against the Machine (laughs) (laughs) because you know you're not gonna do anything to stop the production of the stuff but like I guess the only thing you can do is rage out at it locally so yeah yeah, he just goes
0: (laughs) you can like throw all the cartons off the shelf at the grocery store and stomp on all of them and you know knock shit over and you know smash
1: the glass of the freezer counter with a rake I did kind of laugh pretty hard though like when there's a little kid just in the cart and is eating it already smacks out of the kid's head he's like give me that don't eat that (laughs) and then his mom freaks out on him that whole scene was fucking comical so we catch back up with Mo and he is paying a visit to an FDA
0: executive named
1: Vickers. Which, again, we kind of skipped over, like, meeting at the hotel or going out to dinner. They kind of just yada yada yeah, over all that
0: <laughs> just kind of goes by the wayside, yeah. But yeah, he goes to meet this guy named Vickers, who was, like, one of the FDA execs who was one of the ones, like, approving the stuff, right? But he's kind of vague in his answers and standoff issues. Like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's okay. Like, I trust our people. You know, I approved it. It's fine. I didn't test any of it myself. But, you know, it's... And don't worry about it. It's harmless. It's just like, you know, yogurt or anything else. You know, they just kind of harvested. But it's safe. Like,
1: millions of Americans are eating it. It's totally safe. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't know where it comes from. But, like, you know, it's fine. Which there might probably be in the past and even now like FDA inspectors I could probably totally do that Be like, oh yeah it's fine whatever and that's fucking horrifying meanwhile the whole time like he's having this like weird reaction with his dog and like like, giving it weird looks he's got
0: this big Great Dane kind of dog and he's acting really like careful and kind of scared and suspicious about this dog which we'll get to that (laughs) this guy by the way Vickers this character is played by Danny Aiello who like I mentioned earlier he just passed away a couple months ago, but he was in Godfather 2, Once Upon a Time in America, Purple Rose of Cairo, Radio Days, The Original Man on Fire, Moonstruck, one of my all-time favorites, Do the Right Thing. He's in that. Um, he was in Jacob's Ladder, which is a movie that's on our list for sure to cover uh, Leon the Professional. So, he's he's been in a ton of shit, but he's one of those guys that you would totally recognize him character actor-wise. So, anyway, yeah. He's like, yeah, I didn't test it, but I have documents I keep all that shit at the house. I'll give you all those documents. I kind of show you like all the people who did approve it, and you can maybe you know chase them down. And again, he keeps looking back at the dog, like, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, I'm not doing anything, you know. And he, and as soon as Mo leaves, the dog fucking attacks him, pukes up giant globs of the stuff like onto this guy, <laughs> and it's the, it's the best like fake puppet dog, just like spurting white shit out of its mouth. It's Because
1: he talked about like it's so safe, he feeds it to his dog instead of dog food and at one point too like when he's upstairs getting the documents when Mo is kind of poking around he opens up that door and there's just containers of the stuff piled all across the room like in the kitchen and yeah when the dog attacks him he's just like no I I did what you wanted me to boy I'll get you more of the stuff (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: great so yeah Mo chases down some of these FDA people that tested and approved and he eventually ends up down in Virginia he goes to this very small small town and pulls over where there's kind of a combination gas station slash post office. This is like a real small rundown town. But he's greeted by this gas station worker and he's like, yeah, I need some gas. Okay, cool. You should really visit our restroom. You should go to the restroom. It's real clean. I just cleaned it. There's fresh towels in there. He's like being real pushy about him going to the restroom for some reason. <laughs> and all of a sudden this car like pulls up down the block and then just kind of sits there. And Mo sees the car and is like, you yeah, who, know, who is this guy? and you know of course the gas station guy's like I don't know I've never seen him before and Mo's like cool I'll be right back fill up the car and as you know Mo is walking toward this car the gas station worker like suspiciously runs off into the fucking fucking woods but yeah Mo goes up to this car to kind of check it out because he feels like he's being tailed or something like that but he goes up to the car and it's empty and then all of a sudden he's fucking kung fu attacked by this older African American guy right just like jumps off the roof of the car hiya is like karate chopping the shit out of him but eventually Essentially, they, like, punch each other onto the ground, essentially. And he realizes that the guy that attacked him is this now deposed ice cream mogul named Charlie Hobbs, a.k.a. Chocolate Chip Charlie. (laughs) So he was
1: also in town kind of chasing down leads. Well, I love when he jumps him. He tries to, like, Superman punch the ground while he's still laying down. He does the, like, superhero, like, jump punch ground kind of thing. And misses him because, like, Mo rolls out of the way and he like hurts his hand but it doesn't seem like it hurt that bad like or if you fucking punch the ground and miss somebody and hit concrete like your hand's broken. Chocolate Chip Charlie
0: is played by Garrett Morris he was in stuff like Cooley High and Car Wash but he was on SNL he's like one of the original SNL people for
1: years. I could totally believe it after I saw that he very much seems like he would have thrived in early days of SNL. Yeah
0: he was on like the first five seasons of the show Um, but he did tons of TV stuff just from my wife in case she's listening he was in Coneheads I, 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 <laughs> I only mentioned because she fucking hates Coneheads so that's for you baby he also has a fun cameo in Ant-Man specifically really? because there is a fucking old SNL skit called like Superhero Party that they did with Margot Kidder who is also in the Black Christmas episodes so she has come up on this show before but she was guest hosting on SNL during the time when Superman came out in 79 and they did a skit where you know she was playing lois lane and she and superman played by bill murray by the way were like finally married and they were happy and they were living like suburban life and so they just have a party where they invite over all their other friends so it's like fucking dan Aykroyd is the flash and john belushi as uh the hulk but garrett morris shows up as ant-man and everybody's just like giving him shit like what do you do control ants he's like yeah man i control ants and i can like shrink small and shit and they're like yeah how is that useful (laughs) right so they're just giving him shit so he played he's the original person who played Ant-Man so they give him like a fun little cameo
1: in the first movie Um, I will say he seems like he is having a blast in this movie oh yeah his character while being like an old chocolate chip cookie mogul is also like obsessed with kung fu and yes I love his fucking dedication to his, his kung dedication fu. that like his hands are registered weapons and like yeah it's great. all that shit is so good it's fucking ridiculous but yeah he's also in this
0: small town, because he's also investigating the stuff. Again, he was, like, the owner of this giant ice cream company, and the company that owns the stuff, which they never make that clear, like, they never name, like, Stuff Co or Stuff Inc or whatever, but the company, like, took over Charlie's operation by essentially buying out all of his family members who were shareholders of his company, right? And all of them seem to have vanished, right? Everybody just kind of disappeared once they got their money, so he's now like, what the fuck? All my family members disappeared here, those assholes. I'm going to get them back one of these days. But they all left a forwarding address to this small shitty town. So I'm here to figure out, are they here? What the fuck is going on? Whatever. So Mo and Charlie decide, okay, let's go walk down the street again, go back to that post office that we just saw um, next to the gas station. So they go in, and the clerk is weirdly standoffish with them, especially when they discover that all the mail being sent there, that's all being rerouted there, is then all being rerouted to Middle Georgia, just middle of nowhere. Okay. <laughs> the clerk also like awkwardly and very obviously like sneaks out the back door once Moe notices that there's a bunch of empty containers of the stuff behind the counter. And it's the it's the best because he's just like, y'all stay here,
1: I'll be right back, and just kind of like walks backwards into bushes, <laughs> it's kind Scooby of obvious, Doo, yeah, like Scooby Doo level, yeah. But then like as soon as you he shuts the door behind him, you just immediately hearing, yeah, <laughs> like just choking noises. Yeah,
0: so Moe and Charlie walk through the back door and they see the clerk is just all like blah, on the floor with his giant face all stretched open. And there's a giant glob of the stuff that's pouring out of the guy's mouth and like slurps over to the other end of the room and up and out a fucking window. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, again, like you said, Chocolate Chip Charlie's like commitment to his kung fu is so fucking good because he's like, yo, we gotta get this door open. He's like, don't worry, I got it. He just like, ah yeah, like punches through the fucking window in the door to unlock it. Like, there's no reason to do that. You could probably just shove that door with your foot to open it, but I love that he has to punch it open. I love how Mo, like, lets him do it, like,
1: feeds into him. Like, Mo's like, I need you to use your tools now. (laughs) He's like, stand back. (laughs) Uh,
0: But yeah, they also, like, exit through the window and are immediately attacked in the middle of the street by all these townspeople who are now all, like, mutated and, like, made rabid by the stuff. When they start fighting these guys back, Chocolate Chip Charlie, like, kung fu karate chops a guy in the neck and is, like, squirting stuff out of his
1: neck. Just, like, white goop everywhere. It kind of reminded me of the androids in Halloween 3. Yeah, a little bit. Or, like, the, uh... The android and Alien, yeah. Or the what's-his-face guy from Phantasm, like, bleeding out this goop instead (laughs) of actual blood. Blood. Yeah, Yeah, they, like, also
0: literally crush this other guy's face and just, like, cave his fucking face (laughs) in. It's just full of, like, (laughs) stuff. But, yeah, they barely escape in, like, a small boat that just happens to be nearby and we do see the post office clerk come back to life the stuff like slurps back into his mouth and he like wakes up and is just like mm, yum and <laughs> see him like wipe his mouth off I think he yeah. says like I gotta get me more stuff but yeah chocolate chip Charlie and Mo regroup at this nearby diner and Mo convinces him like look you gotta like find one of my buddies in the FBI tell them what's going on
1: I think to prove a point at one point too he uh, even says like you know we have a problem here cause like watch this then to the waitress he's like y'all got any of that stuff and like everyone just gets weirdly quiet immediately in the diner and like the waitress is just like "Uh, no we uh we uh we're out of that we're trying to get that we're on a back and then she
0: immediately walks into the back room and there's just like a freezer full of
1: the stuff (laughs) because like mo leaves and i took it as charlie was about to get it basically (laughs) yeah or both of them were about to get so yeah like the stuff is definitely controlling you know
0: all the people and all the police and all these little small towns you know it's already kind of taking over right and this is kind of where the like body snatcher vibes kind of come in about like who do we trust and it's taking over you know everyone little by little also the name that he gives Charlie I don't know if this was just like coincidence or if this was supposed to be an in joke or what but Moe tells him like yeah go seek out my buddy in the FBI his name is Frank Herbert which that's the author of Dune sure Um. <laughs> anyway the waitress that overhears them basically phones it in that you know Moe is going back to New York and Charlie. Is is going to seek out this guy, the FBI. And then we cut to like a weird quick scene where we see like a vendor on the street in New York pushing her cart of the stuff and this guy driving around in like a van of the stuff, like an ice cream truck. And they're like radioing each other and watching Mo walk through the street. And we see the truck try to run him over and assassinate him. (laughs) It's just like a weird quick out of nowhere kind of scene. And then Mo goes to meet with the head of the whole entire company and marketing firm
1: for this stuff. back up for a second what a shitty job of like trying to kill him by the way yeah really what a shitty hit job that was like they play it like the van almost hits him but the van was fucking nowhere close to nowhere close to him yeah <laughs> and also just
0: keeps going you know like they would have done a better job if the van had just run up beside him and just somebody opened the window and just shot him you know yeah. anyway mo goes to meet with the head of the main marketing firm for the stuff um it's this guy named fletcher the guy reveals essentially like oh yeah we happen to own this my mon- company you know wink 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 and then kind of attempts to bribe Mo with like a giant envelope of money and a job offer you know he's basically just like yeah why don't you come work for us instead you know and of course Moe's like no nah, I'm, I'm good we'll, we'll catch up we'll talk to you later you piece of shit but I love too that like this guy's office this giant room in his house this mansion with like a giant fireplace and a huge desk and a giant stuffed polar bear it is like the most Mr. Burns bullshit I've ever <laughs> seen in my life it's pretty comical yeah so Mo then reveals and spills the entire story to Nicole um, and kind of tells her like, yeah, I don't really work for an oil exec company. I'm actually this like fucking industrial saboteur, by the way, and I've been, you know, manipulating you this entire time. And she seems to blow that off pretty easily. And she's more just in shock about her involvement with the entire conspiracy because she's the one that came up with the entire campaign and marketing, you know, and commercials for this stuff. So now she's like, oh shit, what have I been doing this whole time? On
1: one hand, part of me is like, okay. Oh, come on like he literally just like manipulated you like you're not gonna be more yeah. <laughs> angry about this but then on the other like i kind of have to give it to her like she immediately just i want to fix this like i was part of this yeah. problem i feel guilty about it i'm with you like we need to take these fuckers down where and i will give mo the same credit even though he is a corporate saboteur he is very much it's kind of stopped being about the money now and more about like shit's going on we yeah. need to like finish this and get rid of these people basically yeah one of the guys on Mo's
0: team happens to like jokingly offhand mention Jason's grocery store escapades right because it made the newspapers so that's when Moe's like okay mm, this kid knows what's up too we gotta go figure this out maybe he knows something right So we cut back to Jason and he is grounded for life in his bedroom (laughs) for life. Yeah, because he, you know, pulled his stunt and we're beginning to kind of more and more see his family become like addicted to the stuff, right? Jason sneaks downstairs and he discovers they've thrown away all the real
1: food and there's just nothing but the stuff, you know, in the refrigerator. It's really creepy because like they're all in the dark and his brother is just playing this uh, video game, which his parents are just watching it kind of zoned in on the game as they're like kind of slowly slurping the stuff out of uh, the containers Yeah, this is one of the like, kind of creepier images of the movie like when he first walks in on his family like this. Yeah. This could be a normal situation you could walk in on like of a family like after dinner like what them were doing like no one's talking to each other and everyone's just kind of zoned in on electronics
0: you know there's something there. But it's still creepy like them all being just in the dark with the glow of the TV all staring blankly at the TV while all eating the stuff out of these fucking magic cartons. <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. But yeah he he, he goes downstairs and you know they essentially pull the whole like no you need to eat the stuff that's all we're eating now yeah i've lost five pounds just eating the stuff yeah it's good for you it has good bacteria that'll you know it's
1: good for your body and the dad hand, hands him a container is just like you're grounded and you can't come out of your room until you've finished this
0: yeah so yeah jason goes upstairs with this carton of the stuff and pulls this switcheroo where he like dumps it in the toilet and then fills up the carton with shaving cream and and it's kind of hilarious because he dumps it in the toilet and it, you know,
1: and like comes alive and it's like crawling up the bowl before he flushes it. Which wouldn't hit like everyone in the house hear him flushing it? Yeah, really. Come on now. Also too, he
0: has like a Motley Crue poster in his bathroom. Um, sure. Why not? But yeah, Jason, uh, you know, goes downstairs and fakes like, oh yeah, mm, I love it. It's delicious. Y'all are right. I really do love the stuff. And you know, they're kind of buying it at first, but then all of a sudden he like has too many fucking bites of this shape cream and is just like (laughs) he like goes to run off and the dad realizes oh you're you know you've been tricking us oh no so they all run out the house after him so then there's yeah it's kind of creepy of like jason running down the street of his
1: neighborhood with his family all like chasing behind him because you know if they catch him they're gonna hold him down and like force feed the stuff to him yeah Jason's fear in this scene
0: is definitely something that's very relatable. Just the entire idea of your family wanting you to kind of conform to some ideal child that you are not. Just the fear of changing who you are fundamentally and becoming, especially in this case, like a very hollow, fake kind of individual with no actual personality. Just a drone cramming the stuff into your brain. You know, that's definitely a real fear of losing one's individuality and autonomy just to make your family happy essentially so that's definitely very relatable but yeah Jason is rescued by Mo Mo like drives up just in time and picks him up in the car like get in
1: kid you know, stranger out. danger out the window yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like, like
0: stranger danger is fuck but again this kid was wandering around a grocery store by himself earlier so I guess he doesn't give a
1: shit Well, and, and Mo does say something like I know you know about he this s- he stuff. said I saw it
0: move too kid I'm assuming he like read the newspaper of like the kid swearing that he like saw it come to life
1: or whatever yeah so like okay that's I guess enough but still it's just like stranger danger kid shit yeah so
0: now we have Mo. Nicole and Jason. So now, all three of them are together and they all fly this chartered plane down to Midland, Georgia. Again, the place where they discovered all the mail was being rerouted to, right? And that's where the company producing the stuff has been housed this entire time. But they like have control over the whole town and all the workers and everything else. So it's been very like kept under wraps.
1: Which I was getting excited about this because it's like, oh man, here we go. Halloween 3 all over again. <laughs> yeah, and Halloween 3, this is not unfortunately
0: <laughs> but yeah Nicole goes down there again she's like the campaign director so she's like yeah we're gonna come up with like a new marketing campaign so I want to tour the facilities and like see everything oh by the way this weird fucking guy with the southern accent with me is my assistant so while they're taking a tour of the plant Jason goes on the run again because a worker dumps a bunch of the stuff into the plane and it like kills the pilot it like wraps on his face and he's like
1: oh yeah I love that like oozes the, into the plane the one shot of the pilot's supposed to be a jump scare but it's just like his face with all this white shit all over it <laughs> splat yeah, like yeah splat yeah and yeah so he runs off again it's kind of strange still that like Mo brought him and uh and then leaves him in the plane leaves him in the plane and then uh, I understand why she's there at least she's an adult like and wants to see this through but yeah like the kid just being there too and I do like how she kind of gives him a look of like wait are you serious like bringing a kid along <laughs> the fuck yeah. is wrong with well, you too, like, if she was gonna pass
0: fucking Mo off as her assistant, they could have just been like, yeah, this is my nephew, uh, you know, Ronnie, he's with us, too, because he wants to see the factory. Yeah. But yeah, they, like, leave him in the fucking plane. So he, like, runs off into the fucking woods, because the workers are, like, trying to kill him. Jason then, like, discovers this nearby, like, the old mine, where the workers were, like, pumping the stuff out of the ground, and there's a bunch of these tanker trucks that are transporting it to the factory, like, for packaging. They, you know, pump it out of the ground, truck it over to this factory where they, like, squirt it into little cartons. Which, by the way, I fucking
1: love those cartons.
0: They're, like, so well designed and they just have that ugly, like, purple, pink, and brown, like, yeah, color scheme again, to
1: them. Yeah, the, the actual production value of the stuff itself, like, as a made-up product Pretty is good. really awesome. I want one of those containers now. I want a stuffed thing so bad. They made a couple thousand of them. Like, he, yeah. Larry Cohen, like,
0: went to a buddy of his and they, like, literally made these little cardboard cups they made you know a few thousand of them he still has a ton of them apparently that they like give away at uh certain conventions and things like that but i joked with heather i kind of want to make a like costume of the stuff that we can put on our dog neville who is a fluffy white dog i want to do that as like his halloween costume that would be pretty year. good
1: that'd be solid so anyway yeah
0: jason discovers the mine and he Climbs into one of the tanker trucks, like into the tank. The hatch is open, so he gets inside this fucking tanker trunk to hide because all these workers are going by. And of course, he gets accidentally like locked into the truck, and he's there for
1: hours. Question yeah. mark. He seems like a pretty resourceful kid, like earlier, like tricking his family with the shaving cream and stuff. Yeah. Like pretty clever. That was a stupid. That was move. a stupid fucking move. Because <laughs> you also see where this is going later on. Like he's in this empty container truck that usually transports the stuff in it. Exactly. You, you yeah. see what's coming. So. Mo and Nicole are then taken
0: to this nearby hotel that the company like made arrangements for them to stay at which that's also like red flag number one if the company is like oh yeah we totally have a place uh, that you can stay tonight at this hotel that we already like arranged for you no no fuck that like that, no, we're, we're good we'll, yeah. we have our plans already right so of course they go to this hotel and while they're sleeping the stuff glorps out of the fucking bed it bursts through a fucking pillow yeah. and attacks them and Mo gets like a big gl- blob of it on his face and he's flopping around the floor like like michael moriarty his physical acting here is bananas because he is like going wild with this shit attached to his face and nicole burns it off she unscrews a fucking oil lamp because i guess again 80s and safety nobody gave a shit but there's like an oil lamp in this hotel room and she unscrews it splashes it on his face and sets it on fire (laughs) and
1: so yeah this stuntman's like rolling around the ground kicking while his fucking face is on fire First off, the effects in the scene are, again, fucking bananas. Second (laughs) off, the acting in the scene is fucking bananas. Like, her reactions, like, because she should be freaking out a lot more than she actually is. She is acting like she's freaked out, but the acting isn't fully there. So, like, her reactions to him being attacked by the stuff are kind of, like, subdued to a noticeable degree. I'm just like, oh, no, the stuff. Hold on. I'll get it off you. I know what to do. Meanwhile, like, he's freaking out on the ground. Passing out Like you said Doing a shit ton Of physical body acting And she's just Lottie dying Like about getting It off of him And to take it to An even more Like
0: ridiculous degree A random dude Also just Kicks the door in And runs in To attack them (laughs) Right? and it's hilarious because like they basically like body throw his ass against the wall and the stuff just like giant tidal wave of it pours out of the fucking bed and just like slurps into this guy against the wall and
1: is pushing him up the wall up to the ceiling while he's just like getting like glorped into it and it's trying to become like the thing a little bit here where like he's sort of becoming like part of this big tidal wave but again it's not the thing and it's not nearly as dangerous as the thing so it's just kind of like a big tidal wave that's on the wall that eventually also gets burned and you hear like
0: yeah, they like splash it and set it on fire as well too which according to legend so this whole scene was pulled off by a room that is built onto a gimbal so that it can rotate and according to legend this is the same rotating room that they used in Nightmare on Elm Street for the scene where the girl's getting like drug up the wall and across the ceiling by Freddy Krueger right? Right. So yeah the whole idea is that the room just rotates so that you can be like on the ceiling on the walls whatever so they, they did it that way. But anyway, uh, Mo and Nicole escape the hotel room that's now on fucking fire, and they get in the car that they stole earlier, and they follow it to where the tanker trucks are. They see all the tanker trucks going into the mine, and they follow them in there, and they discover, like, on this cliffside, there's a giant fucking puddle, like a giant pond, essentially, of the stuff that's in this quarry, and it's all bubbling, and there's, like, tentacles coming out of it and shit. But all these trucks are just parked around, like, with hoses pumping it into the tanks, so Mo breaks out this worker's jumpsuit, like a yellow jumpsuit that he stole earlier in the day at the plant, and he sneaks down and plants explosives around the cliff wall. He goes down to the ground level, and as he's like sneaking his way through the trucks, he hears Jason. Jason's of course trapped inside. They're pumping stuff up into the truck, and we hear Jason like, "No, no, get away from me! No, fuck you!" And Mo hears him from inside the tank, and like like taps on it's like hey it's me i'm you know i got you and so he steals this truck blasts away through the quarry and explodes the walls and so all the walls cave
1: in and like it took the staff enough time to realize what was happening like yeah he was like fucking walking all around there was one guy who got suspicious at him and like he just knocks him unconscious behind the trucks (laughs) but other than that like no one is paying any fucking
0: attention to what's happening around them until it's too late they're all like zombie brainwashed and none of them are really you know cognizant but yeah he like drives the tanker truck down the road toward the car finds Nicole which Nicole's like being attacked by one of the workers and this is a fucking fun effect cause she like rolls and punches the guy and he falls onto the ground and the fucking tanker truck like runs over this guy's like bottom half of his body and it just splat and crushes him and his fucking head explodes <laughs> with goop.
1: Yeah I, I like how this movie kind of went around gore effects by just having like everyone already be kind of pre-infected by the stuff so anytime like their body explodes open just more of the goop comes out no blood yeah so yeah they barely escape from like a brainwashed police officer as well
0: so they kind of decide like okay it's clearly taken over all these small towns we don't know where it's safe so we gotta get to a big city there's no way it's been able to like infect everybody in a large city just yet but we gotta get out of these small cities so they start driving but then they go to the smallest place that they can imagine they go to this fucking castle where there is a retired army colonel is just this is honestly where the movie starts going downhill for me like, like this, this whole is... last 20 minutes where it goes off the rails like this is where the movie kind of starts to get a little weak for me yeah honestly. this whole bit is like what the fuck are we doing now <laughs> but yeah we meet this retired army colonel named Malcolm Spears played by Paul Sorvino and he is training a militia group so this is a former army colonel who clearly got way too wrapped up in like conspiracy and all this other bullshit and paranoia so he got discharged and he is convinced that like yeah the commies are coming to take over infiltrate everything so I'm training this militia group
1: in this fucking castle right he's basically like Alex Jones mixed with what's his (laughs) face from the Twin Peaks revival um Jacoby Jacoby Dr. Jacoby shovel out of the shit shovel out of the shit yeah like he uh he's basically gone that in that regard and he's he's basically doesn't think that the American Navy or Army can handle like the coming Threat, so he's training his own militia, yeah. like you said. And it sounds like that a lot of this militia are also like former military that just kind of believed in him more than the actual military, so they followed yeah. him.
0: But by former military, we mean whatever crew members weren't working that day yeah, because <laughs> the fucking military fatigue's on, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, this character is played by Paul Sorvino. He is another one of those legendary, like, that guy actors that's been in tons of, like, mob shit. Yeah, you would recognize Paul Sorvino in a lot of stuff. He was in The Gambler, uh, Freakin's Cruising. He was in Reds. He was in Dick Tracy. He's fucking Big Polly in Goodfellas, you know, slicing that fucking garlic. He was in The Rocketeer, which he plays, like, a mob boss in The Rocketeer too. He was in a lot of the same Law and Order run that Michael Moriarty was in.
1: I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. He was in
0: Nixon, Bullworth, The Cooler, um, and recently he's been in a show called Godfather of Harlem with uh, Forrest Whitaker. So anyway, we find out that Moe knows this guy because Moe was like tailing him, wiretapping him, and was going to be blackmailing him for the FBI. And he disagreed with turning over, like, evidence that he was having an affair to his wife to, like, ruin him and everything else. That's the reason why he left the FBI. is because he didn't want to, like, fuck up this dude's life. So, that's where the connection is, and that's where he kind of gained some trust with this military guy. And he also kind of appeals to, like, his Cold War paranoia about the comedies, like, taking over U.S. industries and brainwashing the American public with fluoride and all this other bullshit, right? So, anyway, he convinces them pretty quickly that, like, yo, the stuff is a threat. We need to take it out so they fucking storm the factory <laughs>
1: when we say storm he's straight up taking over ready to fight to the death this machine is a guns battle. yeah yeah so they storm the
0: factory eventually only to discover that all the workers have been just left as husks the workers are all being controlled and the stuff glorped out of them and now it's just like the husks of all these people left and you know we see a scene where the stuff is kind of chasing Nicole and Jason through the facility like a big t- wave of it like the blob is chasing them and I love that like the response is okay let's just leave this stuff here don't worry about it we gotta go get the people in charge and warn the public right I love that
1: they were just like just leave it here we'll deal with it later And it straight up killed some of the soldiers too, like when it crashed
0: through the wall and stuff. Oh yeah. And again, if we want to talk about like water over your head, deep at ham, fucking Paul Sorvino is playing it up as this super gung-ho pro-America military guy who is also wildly paranoid and crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he's also like son and Jimmy to like the little kid while also hitting on Nicole like hardcore, like right in front of Mo.
0: (laughs) I do love his line where he's like, America's never lost a single war, and Jason's like, uh, what about Nam, sir? Sonny, we lost that war at home. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck? So, anyway, yeah. Nicole and Jason, like, successfully evade, like, these giant waves of the stuff that's, like, still around the factory, right? But then they decide, like, okay, Colonel Spears is like, yeah, I own a radio station where I used to broadcast all my stuff. So, again, he was full Alex Jones for a time. And apparently it's, like, a far-reaching station, too, because he has, like, multiple stations. Yeah. So, and this is an image that I did find fucking hilarious they all flew in on these chartered jets to the factory and then they took all these cabs they like essentially call all these fucking yellow cabs to the factory where they just military stormed the whole place and murdered all these workers and there's the stuff everywhere and so just seeing all these military guys pack into these fucking cabs and drive up to the front of this radio station and all get out with machine guns mind you and i love how he's just like yeah all right troops pay the drivers give them a 10% tip meet <laughs> me at 0600 in this place right it's just like goofy as shit yep. but um <laughs> the militia reaches the radio station by the way this is all the same movie just Keep yeah, that it was around. all the same movie. <laughs> they reach the radio station. Nicole starts drafting a statement to, like, warn the public. Chocolate Chip Charlie shows up at the station, demanding that he, like, also kind of tell his side of the story in hopes that he can get his company back. So he's like, you know, I'm with Mo, and we were working together, and blah, blah, and I'm here too, right? Charlie eventually corners Nicole and Jason in one of the recording booths, and, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll tell you all about it. I'm going to tell you my whole side of the story. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Starts, you know, shaking, and the stuff explodes out of his head. And this is a gift that people have probably seen, but it's his neck expands, and his whole head like stretches, and his jaws open up like a snake. And it's just the most fake eye bulging, ridiculous head with the stuff squirting
1: out of it. This is like the most horror movie scene this of this movie. I'd say, <laughs> yeah. If you just look at the image by itself with no context, it's pretty horrifying because like his mouth is stretched to like an insane degree, like an inhuman degree and his eyes are kind of rolling back in his head and almost like zombie-like but instead of trying to eat your flesh it's trying to swallow you whole and then like and then yeah. other uh, moments of it are showing like shit coming out of his mouth but like when you're actually seeing the scene unfold it is ridiculous and not yeah. as scary as the images actually seem to make it out to be but yeah i guess this is like the biggest effect of the movie and also most quote unquote horrific yeah so charlie you know explodes
0: into this giant glorp of the stuff nicole and jason who's wandered into the recording booth they are both up on the counters trying to stay away from it most smashes the window of the recording booth tears some electrical wires out of the wall and just electrocutes the stuff and sets it on fire and manages to rescue Jason and and Nicole and so yeah like nothing ever happened no big deal that didn't we didn't almost die just then I guess he was
1: like infected when he was left behind at the diner probably
0: so yeah but yeah they get on the radio they successfully get their warning message out to the public and we see this montage of all these people across the nation burning the stuff. They're, like, taking it out of grocery stores. They're burning it in giant piles. They're exploding these storefronts and advertisements and all that kind of shit. You know, and they say, like, okay, yeah, thousands of people died, but, you know, the citizens are now safe from the stuff. So now we can all assume that all the people involved are, like, heroes. They've saved the day, right? And we cut to some time later. So,
1: I'll also, too, just mind you, during, like, all these military scenes, like, where the militia's, like, storming everything, Jason the Kid is just on the front line with them like yeah even though earlier on they were like leaving him on the plane for his own safety nope no problems here he can now tag along because he was almost taken out by the stuff earlier so we're gonna have him around all these people who aren't actually military with guns like storming places now also too i thought it was pretty funny that the stuff basically got taken out by alex jones (laughs) yeah pretty much so
0: once again we see mo visit fletcher the guy who was like the head of the stuff company he goes in fletcher tells them that like, okay, yeah, big deal. You destroyed one of our mines. You don't think that there's other places where the stuff seeps out of the ground that we won't find it later. This isn't going to hurt our business at all. And Moe's just like, cool, well, yeah, we're going to find all those places and we'll get rid of them too. And then, from out of the darkness, you know, of course, there's like always kind of that twist of like, oh no, um, Mr. Evans, who is the original ice cream mogul guy who had like hired Mo at the beginning of the movie, he comes out and is like, yeah, turns out we all at the ice cream conglomerate you know, we teamed up with Fletcher. So now we're developing this new product called The Taste, which is a mix of mostly ice cream with just enough of the stuff in it to make people crave more without it really
1: completely taking over their minds and killing them. So, you know, it's it's going to be okay this time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> corporate douchebag 101 the needs of profits are more than the needs of the people (laughs) yeah so jason enters the room carrying like
0: a giant crate of the stuff cartons and i love too that they're just like you know what is this little boy doing here with you and you're supposed to be at home at school with your family and mo's just like he doesn't have a family anymore he's not a little boy anymore he's seen a lot of shit he's a grown-up now his family's dead because of you so at gunpoint they force these two fucking guys to just eat the stuff like just force feed them and like force them to eat it as punishment
1: for all their bullshit and that's that's when that line is are you eating it or is it eating you Now they're almost like on their hands and knees getting containers off the floor, seeing if there's more stuff in it to eat. Yeah, they're fully addicted. Yeah, Yeah, they're fully addicted. And there's police sirens in the background. And that's when they decide to leave them. Yeah.
0: And the film ends with these like shady black market dealers. A guy like pulls up in a truck and they open the trunk. And there's a case that they crack open. And it's, you know, more cartons of the stuff. No, my God. (laughs) And, you know, one guy like opens it up, wipes his finger in it. licks it like you would do with cocaine right to like make sure it's legit and he just like looks back and thumbs up cut to fucking credits with the song. And it's like the best hard cut to credits. It reminded me a lot of like how RoboCop ends. <laughs> and then, of course, we have a post credit scene where we see Brooke Adams in the shower
1: and she just says, enough is never enough. Well, she's got a carton of it, right? Yep. So
0: yeah, that's the stuff.
1: Yep, never had a sequel, unfortunately. He definitely left it open, I guess. It
0: could totally have gone in like all kinds of different directions if they had done more with it. But yeah, again, this movie is fucking ridiculous i will not say it is a like objectively good movie in air quotes but it is a fucking brilliant satire yeah i'll give it that 80s like corporate greed and the whole idea of like what are we putting into our bodies conspiracy theories and just all of that bullshit like 80s consumerism and addiction just it is a great play on all that shit but it is the right kind of schlocky, fun, ridiculousness with that low-budget kind of charm that is really, really fun to watch with a group. So that is by far the best way to watch it. Get some friends together. Certainly drink or consume whatever substances you want, if need be. But yeah, it is it is a fun fucking movie to watch when you are in that right kind of environment, for sure. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's, that's all I've got to say about it other than, like, because I let you do all the praising now. Uh, I will say there are moments where... Again, this movie reaches levels of Mystery Science 3000, something they would watch and make fun of, levels with some of the editing and cuts and acting.
0: Yeah, and that's why I said it's not objectively a good movie, in air quotes. It is a very clunky, put-together movie. Like, as far as the craft and making of this movie, again, you can see all the seams and all the mistakes (laughs) are very obvious in this movie, but the satire is on fucking point.
1: Well, and you brought up a point which stayed with me since BloodRay, of this is one of those movies that is genuine and is really is trying its best totally it's doing its damnedest um and it does feel almost like you had said with blood rage too kind of almost dangerous in that regard of like it's it's really trying to do something and be earnest about it so i can't take that away from it at all
0: yeah because larry cohen like with all of his movies there is always this sense of daring and recklessness and just kind of joie de vivre of like making movies like that's totally like the passion. that he brings to it and it does feel like there's this weird dangerousness to the ideas and the concepts that he's pushing and even the filmmaking itself just the way that they like stole so many fucking shots in all of his movies where they didn't get permits and they would just shoot stuff and worry about getting caught later or whatever you know like there's so much branding that shows up in this movie you know aside from the stuff you see McDonald's and you know they obviously poke fun at Wendy's and even like Star Wars I mean like there's so many other things as people they was just like ah fuck it we don't have to worry about it. nobody's gonna care but the things that they're lampooning the fact that they like got away with it is definitely admirable and all of his movies have that interesting sense of oh you did this you got away with it you know like that's what's always fun and impressive too is not just the content but the fact that like again the movie exists at all that they actually did it you know it has this scrappiness to it that is definitely admirable
1: and on top of that this is definitely a movie you could uh, probably name drop and get some cred with people who are more horror fanatics horror heads than most others like this is another one of those movies where I kind of vaguely knew about it only because of you but otherwise most people probably haven't heard about it so if you're talking horror movies and you're talking deep cuts this is one that you could bring up and again it's easily digestible it's not at all scary it's just not scary period it's kind of funny kind of coming off the string of movies we did do like not scary at all and not really at all dark or serious like the last several we've done but yeah it uh it's worth watching i'd say like even though i kind of shit on it a little bit i'd say it's worth watching Awesome. So, ringing endorsement from me and mild endorsement <laughs> from there About the same as a Blood Rage endorsement, I guess. Maybe just like Blood Rage, as I think about it more and time goes on, I'll uh, I'll come around to liking it more. All right. Cool, cool. So, that is it for this
0: week. Um, Next week, or next episode, rather, we are going to have a fun one with another guest, uh, at least as we're planning right now. So, stay tuned for sure. Oh, yeah. Back, let me do that again.
1: No, you should keep that. You you fucked up. You should keep that. We're at Watch If You Dare. uh, Um, You fucked up my turn. We're at Watch If You Dare. and uh, You can also catch our episodes on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, CastBox pod chaser i think that's all of them shout outs to your little brother jesse mansfield for our bumps at the beginning yep, and after yep. uh, end of uh, our episodes check out all his music on um, bandcamp, party gator all that shit he uh, he makes some good music yep so that's it for this week we will catch y'all later and never
0: forget enough is never enough of the sally <laughs> <laughs> never enough. enough is never
2: enough of the stuff mm.